Hi, friends. Thanks so much for joining us. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to give you a heads up. We will be speaking about sensitive information that could be possibly triggering. We will be discussing our previous relationships, and some of them did unfortunately include emotional and sometimes physical abuse. We have included a number at the end uh, for the domestic violence hotline, and I want to share that with you up front here too, which is 800 799-7233 or you can text start s-t-a-r-t to 88788 thank you welcome to higher perspective with pam and eliza All right. Well, welcome everyone to a new edition of Higher Perspective with Pam and Eliza. Hey. <laughs> so super excited today because we fun. have we have a special guest. And this special guest is near and dear to both of our hearts. Mm-hmm. It is my dear husband Jason welcome oh thanks guys hello (laughs) a little background for the audience I'm obsessed with my husband this is the kind of love that (laughs) it's true I really feel like we need to normalize like synergistic love and uplifting love and so that is a hundred percent what I feel like I have with my husband and before I lose the audience like it, it has not always been perfect at all that's not what it's <laughs> not what I want to drive at but we I'm really proud to say that we just have really open and honest communication even if that means sometimes the open and honest communication is about how we know know each other today we will be discussing relationships so and by the way like this wasn't totally planned like we had planned on jason being our first guest but it was kind of kismet that that he's on today and when the conversation is about relationships and and growth one for the obvious reason of him being my husband but two because he actually has really interesting stories to share and really interesting insights to share and i think it will be great for, for everyone to hear sort of the male perspective on the subject. So I think to jump in so that we can sort of let him take a comfortable seat and listen to us flow. Eliza, why don't, why don't one of us start? I can start. And, yeah, and maybe you. And why don't you start, like, relationships are just so key, I think, in in terms of of growth and personal Mm -hmm. growth. I think Gwyneth Paltrow said it in her Netflix show that love is like one meditation of like what everything that's wrong with you. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. And that always, that always like stuck out to me. So I would love to hear from you a story that you want to share about a relationship that you were in and maybe a blind spot that you had or just just an area of growth that really became apparent because of the relationship. Not going to say her name, but just so you guys know who the person is. This was December 2019 and we broke up during Christmas time. So you both know who I'm talking about. Anyway, you'll definitely know. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a big Christmas person. So this breakup I felt <laughs> at the time was at the worst time. But in the beginning, I felt like the re- relationship was great. We barely argued. We went to a lot of places. We tried new things. I fell in I fell in love with New York City again. I was really considering other places. And over the time, I guess I realized that a relationship is about the hard things and how you both handle them together that makes or breaks a relationship. And when the serious moments came for us, they definitely broke us. Mm. So over time, things started happening that just weren't okay. I noticed that she wasn't considerate. She pushed me away from my friends. And I noticed that like hanging out was more important to her than our relationship. But the biggest thing was that she body shamed me. I weighed heavier at the time that I do now 
but she met me at that weight. You know, I think I was about like 156 and maybe I gained three pounds because I was happy, God forbid. And I used to weigh 188 pounds. So the weight I was then still felt good to me. And I wasn't the only person who gained weight in that relationship. But as a good partner, you know, I never brought that up. She would bring it up herself and I'd tell her like, oh, you're beautiful. Stop. But again, as any respectable partner would, I would never be like, oh, yeah, like you should lose a few pounds. So I remember with me, she would grab parts of me she disapproved of. Oh, geez. Uh She would grab my double chin or the back of my arm and make faces of like disgust. And I remember going to you about it, Pam. Saying, if a man ever did that to a woman, that will be the end of his whole fucking life. That would never be acceptable. And it just kind of floored me a little bit because as another woman, you should already know that that is just unacceptable. So there were more reasons why we ended. And I actually remember the breakup. So I pulled some receipts. But before that, I noticed that like whenever we hung out with her friends, they were just always there. I loved her friends and that was fine. But like, I'm someone who needs alone time. I barely got to see her. I remember texting her saying like, hey, like we need to talk. She never prioritized it. So one day when I got her on the phone, I told her how unhappy I was. And if she wanted things to work out, they have to be different. She basically told me that she doesn't feel right within herself. She feels like she needs to be alone because she never gave that to herself before. And even before this, I could tell that like she was sad. She wasn't in the best place. Mm. So we broke up. I told her I don't want a girlfriend. I want a partner. I want to be with someone who knows that they want to be with me. Like, I don't want to be with someone who's just unsure. Mm -hmm. So I learned that that's important to me. Things always happen in life, right? Life is messy. We'll always be. People have this illusion that things get better and they wait to be happy. I want to be with someone who's always going to have my back and is going to be as committed to that as I would be for them. So whatever I was torn up and I was embarrassed that yet again another relationship ended. I went over to your house. I cried. I came home. I cried to my parents, which I never do. And all of that happened. And then the next day, these are where the receipts come out. The next day, I get a text message saying, good morning, babe. Are you still going to pick me up today? I wrote, wait, I'm confused. You just told me you feel like you needed to be alone and we broke up. She writes, okay, so I'm not going to see you tonight. I can't believe you couldn't even meet me in person and you're already telling people we broke up and none of those words came out of my mouth. Now that just showed me like her headspace and like how confused she was, but I knew what I wanted in a partner and I knew that I'm not going to stay in a relationship just to be in one. I like moving forward so... I think the biggest take from that was I really stood up for myself and I took action into moving away from something that couldn't give me that. And even though a breakups are never fun, I felt probably the most proud of myself that I've ever been. I felt really grounded into who I was. And I felt like, I think that was the first time I ever felt like becoming the woman that I am today. Mm, mm -hmm. So... Even though I say all these things about her, like, she's a beautiful person, right? I, I wish her well, and I'm sure she's doing well. But also thinking about all of this today, that was really the most toxic relationship that I've ever been in. Hmm. But also the biggest gift, because I felt like it catapulted me again into becoming the woman I am today. And Absolutely. proud of her. Proud of yourself? Yeah. Proud, yeah. proud of myself. I love that. I love that you said that you wish her well. Um, I think that's really important. And that shows a lot of growth. Like this podcast is called The Higher Perspective. So I think, you know, being grounded in that is really important, even in these conversations where we're rehashing, you know, likely painful memories. Because I do remember that period very clearly. Yeah. And it was painful. You know, there was, like you said, you you came home crying. I think that was honestly probably the first time I ever cried in front of you. Yeah, it's crazy. And so 
as we mentioned in a previous episode, like growth is not clinical. It's, it's really messy behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. But I love that. And it took time. But I love that you you did take the time, even even if it's just like a, a micro step or or a day where you're not stepping forward at all. You're just resting in your, in your feelings. I think that is still a step forward um, because ultimately you chose to to choose the growth. Jason, I would love to hear a story if you would like to share because I I know what, one of the things also for the audience, and I think this will be clear once Jason starts speaking. And also, if his voice sounds familiar, it's because right. it is familiar. He introduces <laughs> the, us every every week. Yeah, so y'all already know him. But one thing that I have to say about my husband, he is the most emotionally intelligent man I have ever met. Yeah. And bringing it back to, to you, Eliza, I think there was a time where you and I, I was with somebody, I think I was just dating someone, like, I don't know. And you were like, honestly, like, I'm a little concerned for you. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> I don't know how you're going to find a guy that is, is going gonna, is gonna to be emotionally intelligent. Wow, like, I said that to you? A hundred percent. You were like, that's the thing that I fear is like, you have wow. your, Yeah. And that always stayed with me. And I'm like, huh, like, I don't know how I'm going to find that. But I always say that I won the jackpot with Jason. And, and that's a large part as to why. Yeah. So Jason, if you wouldn't mind sharing a story and some insights, we would love to hear it. Well, I, I, first, I think I need to join like at least once a month just for my self-esteem. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is like higher perspective. I mean, I'm in. Let's go. Uh, but I want to go back. I want to go back to Eliza's Eliza's story because I think she illustrated two very important things. One, which you touched on, Pam, in terms of wishing the other person well. You know, often mm-hmm. when relationships end, we're so focused on the hurt and so focused on blaming somebody or it having to be someone's fault. When the truth is, people and relationships grow apart. We come in and out of each other's lives for a reason. Right. You can have it not work out, and you can both be good people, and that be okay. But we get bored, stuck in the rut of trying to figure out why it was this person's fault or reliving arguments or doing blah, blah. When you should really just say, what was there to learn? And then just move on and wish that person good luck on their journey, just like Eliza did. So I think that was important. I think that's important to acknowledge. You know, for me, there's so much to unpeel. So where do you begin? I guess I would say my journey was sort of two parts. The first was in uh, trying to fix wrongs or perceived wrongs or hurts or scars or whatever you want to call it that I had developed from my childhood in a relationship. And for me, that solution for a very long time uh, was how I treated my partner. That was the sum total of how I valued my uh, part in a relationship and to a large extent, how I valued myself. So if a relationship was successful in terms of us getting along, us uh, having a good time, these sorts of things. In my mind, that was a successful partnership. And if I didn't upset my partner, and if I treated my partner with dignity, respect, and other things, that was the sum total of being a successful relationship. And I had a very long relationship that didn't work out for a number of reasons. The main ones was just that we grew into different people and our lives went in different directions. And after some time being single, I entered into what became a very toxic relationship with a person that was physically abusive towards me. And, you know, that's an interesting topic that men don't really talk about to begin with. It was, it took me a a long, I was with this person for over a year on and off. And it took me a long time to even recognize the fact that what was occurring was, I guess, physical abuse because the person was weaker than I was, smaller than I was. And wasn't actually in, inflicting quote unquote pain, at least not physical pain. So as it began, like most uh, abusive relationships, it got worse and worse and worse and got to a point where, you know, I caught my, I remember one specific argument. The situation was explosive. The individual began striking me one, two, three times. And it just clicked very clearly in my mind that the intent the person was seeking was for me to hit them back. And that has a number of 
meanings uh, on a number of levels, but I can just say that I'm never a person that would do that under any circumstances, no matter what, I just would not hit a female. So interesting enough, that moment sort of suddenly signified in my mind a need for change and a need to sort of reevaluate what it was I was seeking in a relationship and why I was seeking it. And what I ultimately realized was I had never considered how my feelings or what feelings or what my needs might be in a relationship. I had been totally focused on the other person's needs. And that was because I, by focusing on the other person's needs, that would help me heal my childhood traumas. We've all got childhood traumas. And I think lots of people go into relationships that end up being not successful because they're trying to fix some trauma that's buried deep within. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what was happening with this particular person. So we split up. And after a time of really starting to evaluate it, I realized that I had never considered how a person could feel my needs. And thankfully, a very short time later, I met Pam and just who she is as a person in terms of her empathy. Um, it was very apparent. And thankfully, we hit each other at the right place at the right time. And my needs have never been more fulfilled ever. So that was a tough lesson to learn at the time, being, you know, being in a relationship with a partner that strikes you. But frankly speaking, that was what was required, I think, in my case, to finally snap me out of only being concerned about fulfilling somebody else's needs. You know, just like we talked about earlier in this particular podcast, I can look back on that relationship and hope that she grew and became a better person. And it is a successful relationship now because right. it wouldn't do me any good to sit around and wish her bad just because she treated me poorly, you know, 10 right. years ago. So absolutely it's, not. Yeah. You know, I'm curious, were there looking back at it, was it a gradual de-evolution on her part or were there signs that, she was going to be physically violent good question well you know in any way people in people in abusive relationships are masters at denial right so you know i will tell you that in my mind i think that the physical stuff started four months into it but i guarantee it was sooner than that and i just didn't register it beforehand mm -hmm. so the individual had uh, extreme fear of being left mm. based on her own sets of traumas. And so, for example, if you were in a restaurant and a waiter came to the table and you looked up at the waiter and the waiter was a female, she would instantly think that you were going to try to pick that female up and leave her. As irrational as that sounds, that's just the truth of it. So there became early on in the relationship instances where conflicts would re would begin over things that in my mind were totally and completely innocuous. And I didn't even know to begin how to explain because how do you explain? Yeah, I looked up at the waiter when I was giving the person my order. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So very quickly it became, you know, the first one was probably a push on the shoulder and then a slap on the shoulder like it didn't register in my mind that this is physical abuse, honestly, until the first time she swung at my face. Yeah. But because then, because I mean, you know, I probably, out, not that I'm a huge guy, but I mean, I probably outweighed her by 60 or 70 pounds. You know, I'm obviously a lot stronger. So the truth is she could hit me as hard as she wanted to in the shoulder and it wasn't going to hurt me. Hmm. Even though that is abuse, let's be honest, that's abuse. Because, it and it's also because we're not talking about like, a tap, like where you tap someone, this is coming from a place of anger. Correct. Right? In like anger, she's striking. You know, yes, in a moment of anger, in a moment of, you know, screaming, you know, whatever. And so, again, obviously I was in denial to begin with because, you know, you, as a man, you don't want to think, well, someone's trying to abuse me. And then secondly, the fact, as I said, it's, it's not, it doesn't physically hurt. But mentally, it, was, it began taking a toll. Well, the, the real question and the question even years later that one wonders is, there were definitely moments during the relationship where I remember thinking this is absurd and I should not be putting up with this. But the truth is I put up with it and I know why it's because I was trying to, in my mind, fix her. And by fixing her, that would then fix me. Mm. So, yeah. but you know, I think uh, anyone that's in an abusive relationship and successfully gotten out of it, you'll realize that there is no fixing the abuser. The abuser has to fix themselves. The abusee largely just has to get out of it and, you know, 
figure out a way to escape. You can't love abuse out of abuser, unfortunately. Sort of like, you know, sort of like you can't love alcohol out of an alcoholic. Now you can love the alcoholic and stick around, but love itself isn't going to stop abuse and it's not going to stop, you know, something like alcoholism. Anyways, no. I don't want to, I don't want to digress too far. I'll just say that there are always signs and most of the time we are very successful at denying ourselves those signs. Well, and I asked that very purposely because, well, first of all, sorry that you experienced that. But I asked that because I think, you know, as we've established, the conversation typically is had about women who marry like abusive men or are in relationships with abusive men used to be like, well, what were the signs before you married him? Were there signs? And what you often hear is, not really. I mean, maybe there were subtle ones, like you said, like the tap on the shoulder, where in your case, this is a petite female doing that. So it's, you can recognize it as intimidation now, but in the moment, it, it just doesn't perhaps register that way, given her size. And so there might be moments like that in a hetero relationship where the male is is being abusive like in the beginning but by and large and i'm not a psychologist but what i often hear is it kind of just is a snap like jekyll and hyde wedding day the Mm -hmm. man knows that he got the woman and boom like it just it just changes night and day and so that's really why i asked that question because i was curious if that pattern existed as well in, in, in the dynamic that you were describing. Well, I guess to that point, I would just say there the, the pattern that exhibited itself was a pattern of escalating uh, intensity. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, the first time it might've been just a verbal argument. The second time was a verbal argument with a get right in your face. The third time was a verbal argument in your face and a push on the shoulder. You know what I mean? It was a slow yeah. escalation to the last one that was, you know, six, seven, eight times of being swung at, you know, the end of it was I grabbed both of her, grabbed her by both of her wrists and said, and screamed at the top of my lungs, you know, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to hit you. So stop swinging at me. Right. And she, and she just, interestingly enough, she sort of looked at me and I could tell in total shock that I think she realized that I knew what she wanted, that I knew she wanted me to hit her. And I think she also knew that there wasn't something she could do that was going to make that happen. So in that moment, I think she sort of felt dumbfounded because I think due to her history and her previous relationships and all sorts of other trauma and other reasons in her mind, I think the only end result was I was going to hit her. Right. Right. And it's not necessarily maybe even like, wanting it it's just when you're on autopilot you're just like one plus one equals two like if i do this then that automatically means he's gonna do x which could be hit me which then confirms what i already believe about myself you know which is i'm not worthy or the other emotions that she may have been programmed to feel because of childhood you know and the last thing i'll say to your point is that you know it it did take someone close to me, I I was telling someone close to me various scenarios about what was going on in the relationship. And I told them about the most recent one where she had swung at my face. And he said, you know, she's abusing you. And I sort of looked at him. I was like, what? I sort of looked at him funny. I was like, come on, man. Like, and he's like, well, just flip it around. If you had done the things to her that she had done it to you, what it would be abuse. And the answer is absolutely, because if, to your point earlier, if I had pushed her the way she had pushed me, I would have shoved her to the ground. Right. She just wasn't big enough to push me to the ground. Now, she was trying. So I don't know. I guess that's just part of denial and seeing what we want to see. And also, like I said earlier, I thought I could fix her. So I was feeding my own desire to think if I could fix this female, that this relationship will then work. And then our love will work. And then that will solve my traumas. In my childhood, I didn't see physical abuse from either of my parents towards each other. I am largely attuned to what I view as mental abuse, but really not physical abuse. 
because it just wasn't something I saw. Trying to fix someone and thinking they'll change and thinking like you'll be the best partner you can to them and kind of just hold on to that expectation of things will work out then. Like it's, it's all on as if it was all on you. Yeah, because then I said, you know, at the time I was just like, well, if I can love a person enough and I can fulfill a person enough, that's what, you know, that is what I'm supposed to do. And by doing that, I will get the love that I desire and the love that I crave, which is totally right. wrong. But in the middle of your psychosis and of your personal psychosis, based on whatever a person's personal traumas are, you don't, you know, you don't know it. I think uh, all three of us are actually guilty on that. I think probably everybody on earth yeah. has some version <laughs> of that, right? We go through at some point, you know, there are, there are those people who get really lucky and have the perfect family relationship role model for them and, you know, friends and et cetera, who are in similar, but I think it's extraordinarily rare. I think it's much more likely everyone has their own set of demons they got to overcome. That's true. And being deeply wounded, it's like then you can sometimes it can manifest in a savior complex, which I think all three of us are guilty oh, for of. Sure. Well, it's interesting that you said you were more in tune to mental abuse than physical abuse because the toxic relationship or, or the relationship example I was going to bring up. Well, for a half, I feel like I have so many, <laughs> but you know, one that obviously comes to mind and was really a formidable experience in bonding me and Eliza for life is a toxic relationship an emotionally abusive relationship that I experienced while I was in college. And I was someone who was really feisty and described myself as really independent and all of these, you know, sort of feminist type adjectives and descriptions. And then somehow found myself in a relationship with someone, you know, just was emotionally abusive. And it's interesting that you talked about the escalation because that was present with him in addition to the kind of night and day thing that I was describing earlier. Because when he was courting me, there was courting. So there was flowers. There was taking me out to restaurants. It was really respectful. And then all of a sudden we were together. You know, you brought up that example, Jason, of like a waiter being a female something something like that actually did occur where we both worked at a restaurant together and I just said hi to a student, a fellow student who just happened to be eating there that night. And my ex ate silent treatment the whole night we were working. It didn't even register to me that he was mad about me saying hi to someone. I mean, it didn't even cross my mind. I thought that I had like, messed up on the job or something because he was the one who got me the job and we leave and he drove us back to the school and there he was like he told me and you know proceeded to tell me that I was trying to make a fool on him a fool of him but what really struck me and scared me because this was sort of the first time I had seen him I had sort of seen the signs of the abuse was that he was driving really fast and really aggressively and it was a manual car so it was stick shift and he was like weaving in and out of lanes because I wasn't apologizing. I'm like, I don't even understand. Like, what am I apologizing for? I just said hello to a fellow like human who knows me like in a public space for two seconds and that was getting him angrier and angrier. And so eventually I apologized and I apologized truly from a place of survival and fear because that's how recklessly he was driving the car and how angry he was getting in his tone in his voice and in his inflection and how he was speaking to me that like really independent girl that I just described sort of just got like shoved down like underneath and I had to work really really hard to find her over like years pretty much to find her and Eliza like was instrumental with your patience and helping me get her back. Or I don't know if I ever got her back, just like transformed myself into a new person. But similar to both of your experiences, it's the growth there. And it really took a long time. I mean, that was really messy. And I kept going back. It kept ending and I kept going back. Mm -hmm. It was just yeah, as you as you well know, <laughs> there was a lot of like 
calling Eliza crying in all hours. I would say the middle of the night, but honestly, it would be 3 p.m. <laughs> and I could call you crying. Um, it would be 3 p.m. It would be 3 a.m. Exactly. Like, all the things. But, you know, I promised myself after that that I would just never, I would never lose myself in that way and in, in how I had. So I got, you know, I got out of it luckily and i i'm very fortunate to say because of the support system around me that i that i'm in a great relationship as as everyone can see and hear um and not many that's not true for everybody so i i understand that what's that moment though what was that moment you were like you woke up and you're like i'm not putting up with this anymore i mean do you have like a defining moment I do. It's interesting you ask that. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be like a medium if it was not. <laughs> if this example did not have some sort of mediumistic metaphysical like point to it. Um, it actually was a conversation with my astrologer. So I started getting into astrology when I was like 23. And at this point, it like he and I were like really off. We had not been together officially for like a year or two, but he kind of like came back into my life. And I was sort of on the fence of like letting him back in, not letting him back in. At least that's what I was telling myself, but really Mm -hmm. he was sort of back in. Right. So, but it coincided with, with me getting into astrology and really learning about my own patterns and learning about why I would even entertain something like that and like just this this journey of self-awareness really started my astrologer I forget exactly what she said but she said something to me a little bit predictive about I think she was able to describe to me what I was feeling without me having even have said it to her so I'm like if you can pick up on this there's something greater at work here and it just really like ignited this fire which I think in hindsight I can call faith And it really ignited this faith in me that there's something larger at work. And like, it allowed me to put my power and my faith into something that was not like the illusion that was right in front of me, which was this guy, you know? And so that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back because he and I had still been arguing. Nothing changed, right? Nothing changed. So Mm -hmm. we were still arguing. He was still not respecting my boundaries. He was still trying to take advantage of me. And I'm like, and then all of these puzzle pieces fit together one day. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I can do bad all by myself. Like, if this is what love looks like, I don't want it. And that's a tricky thing because it's weird because I do think he loved me. Like, I, I think there was some, or maybe it's not love. I do think there was intensity there and I was attracted to intensity. And I'm like, I need to disengage with this relationship of with intensity like that's that's the relationship I actually need to leave is the one with intensity not even him because you can attract it in different ways right Mm -hmm. if you leave the person it can just manifest in something else that's not healthy so I was like I need to just disengage with intensity and like just go back to myself and I could do battle by myself so that was astrology my astrologer and you <laughs> with your infinite patience <laughs> really were the puzzle pieces that kind of just came together. I remember telling you, and I, I really don't mean to curse, but I'm just going to quote myself. If this guy is your meant to be, then you were fucked in life. Oh, yeah, you did say that. I mean, that probably hit. stood out too. I yeah, that did not remember that. <laughs> you I needed t- a hit because. Like you said, when he was courting you, he was taking you out. He was getting you flowers. He was being so nice and patient. But once you did something that you didn't even do, that he just disapproved of, he would even verbally, you know, cross the lines with you. And you would tell me things that you apologized for that he didn't deserve an apology. Like there was no apology needed. Yeah. And anything that escalated happened through him. Yeah. And side note, women apologize way too much anyway. <laughs> In general, yeah, we that's true. We so over-apologize. Like, that's something that I'm still working on in general in life. I think you apologize just the right amount. <laughs> <laughs> so much to unpack here. First of all, 
I think that I would encourage couples to talk about their past relationships. You will learn more about your partner yeah. by learning their journey and their traumas in their past relationships. I think people think that's some crazy off-limit thing and that like some jealousy. I have no idea. I've learned more about who Pam is by hearing her tell me who she used to be and the things that didn't work and why it didn't work and therefore why I fulfill her. So that's that part of it. A couple things I want to question. You, you basically talk about losing yourself or this identity of yourself as this outgoing person. And you said eventually with the lies of self and others, you refound it. So much like you asked me, did I notice the abuse happen? I'm curious, did you notice yourself consciously pushing yourself under as far as your, who you were? And did you notice consciously that you were doing all these things to appease him? Or was that also part of the illusion? And then the second part of the question is, what was the illusion of love that allowed you to stay trapped in the abuse? Hmm. Great questions. And I think they kind of, there's, there's a little bit of overlap there. But yes, to the first question, the visceral reaction that I had in that car, like I still can recall it. I think I was fully aware in the moment. I don't know that I was fully aware of the ramifications. Cause in the moment I was like, huh, like this is different, but I very much was in survival. Like it very much was adrenaline running and it was like, okay, survival instincts are taking over right now. And like, I, and, and you get myopic, right? And I think that's what happens when people, when it's fight or flight, you just get super myopic, myopic meaning like short-sighted, just thinking about the moment. So in that car, I recall that was the first time that I'm like, okay, I'm pushing myself under because I'm actually not sorry. And I know that I am this, I know that what I am saying is not in line with what I'm actually feeling or thinking, but this is the smartest thing to do right now for my safety. Mm. I did yeah. not recall in the moment, my mind didn't even go to, what does this mean for me long term? Which may sound crazy, right? Because somebody listening in may be like, well, why, why wouldn't you just break up with him when you got to safety? And I think sort of how you were in denial that it was physical abuse. I was in denial that it would happen again. I was like, maybe it's just stress. Like, I don't, you know, I'm sure I, t I told myself a, a lot of different things, but whatever, I think the key here is that I was in denial. Your second question, remind so me. So you were in denial, wait a minute, but quickly, you were in denial of what he was doing, because you said you were conscious of pushing yourself or sort of who you were as far as how you acted and what you were doing. You, you were conscious that you pushed that under, and but you weren't necessarily conscious that you continued to push it under. Is that what you're saying? I wasn't aware of and I did not put thought into what that would what the picture of our relationship would continue to look like like what it would look like long term I think I kind of just told myself okay this is a one and done the other thing to add here like for some context that I think might be helpful that I was not aware of in the moment, but I can say now with years removed from it and years of self-work is I think I was able to stay in that without much fight at that time because I really didn't fight it. Like I didn't break up with him. I, I stayed, you know, I think we broke up. You know, again, I said we were on and off, but that on and off, the off part didn't start until much later. And I think I, I was always on because it was a familiar pattern emotionally. And that goes to my own family dynamics. And so in hindsight, it was sort of easy for me to stay in this. And in hindsight, it made sense that I attracted someone like this because I was very much used to sacrificing myself for the other. Yeah. Similar to you about like meeting somebody else's needs being like the metric for success in relationship like that was my metric is he good am i meeting am i am i am i being a martyr am i putting myself aside for his? okay cool this feels right because it feels like what i've been used to feeling 
And I was also heavier at that point, 50 pounds heavier than I am now. I was in, you know, I had moved away from home because I went to college. I dormed. So it was a whole new environment, whole new people, whole new everything, whole new look of me. You know, I was 18, super young. There was a lot going on there. And again, part of the comfort was the intensity. And I grew up in a very intense environment. So in the moment, none of this had registered for me. In the moment, all that registered to me was, huh, that was really weird. I don't really know who to turn to about this because I feel shame. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not turning to someone to say, hey, he did this and now I'm leaving. It would have been, hey, he did this and I'm staying. Right. And I was not going to tell anybody that. So then I felt shame. And that shame and secrecy brought me closer to him because it reinforced this like unconscious and conscious, because this is what he would say to me all the time, us against the world mentality and belief. Talk about toxic. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that is just an extraordinarily powerful example and i i've never really until you've really explained it in that matter gotten and understood it from a person before how really a single if you're triggered properly a single moment can really put you then in a spot to just roll forward and put up with things that you would never put up with so to your point earlier when people are like well why didn't you leave the moment that you got safe out of his car well it wasn't that single then because at at that point you'd already been trapped mentally that was it because everything you just said the shame the everything was immediately there and immediately present. And I think often when we hear about people in abusive relationships, whether they're mental or physical, we just make the immediate assumption, well, once he's not hitting you or once she's not hitting you or whatever, the the fight or flight moment is over, why don't you just leave? It's because there's so many other things involved, shame, guilt, closeness. So I applaud you for sharing that. Definitely. And honestly, that's why... Like you said, like he would be like, oh, it's us against the world. Mm-hmm. That was a big reason for me to be as patient with you because I knew on some level that like, no, she needs a safe place to go to. And he isn't that safe place. He might tell her he's that safe place, but he isn't. So I always want to keep that door open for you that I would never judge you. And I never did, you know, like, yeah, I would get like upset sometimes or frustrated that you kept going back, but I knew you needed someone on the other side. I knew he was just being abusive. I just felt like it was my duty to leave that door open for you and whatever choices you make, those were your choices. But whenever he fucks up again, because I knew he would that you knew you never had to feel shame coming to me. And that well, it wasn't you and him against the world. It was, you're your own person. You know, I always knew you could stand on your own two feet. Eliza, in, the, in those moments of her, her trauma, you know, I, I don't think you feared for her uh, ultimate safety, right? I don't think you did. You feel for her mental safety, but maybe exactly, not ultimately yeah. physically. Not okay. physically, mentally, but, and but let's take it to the to the scenario of people who have someone closer to them and they do feel for their if you had feared for her physical safety, how do you still try to maintain that that patience that you're talking about to sort of let the person because you know they need to sort it out and they figure you to figure it out. But when it's a more physical or a more immediate danger, you know, what do you do? I think that's hard. I think I would just have to do the same thing, you know, but also let them know that make a plan, you know, Mm -hmm. like you hear it all the time. Like my grandma told me one time, right. I was very young and she was like, if you ever end up in an abusive relationship, you don't tell him you're leaving. You pack a bag and in the middle of the night, we'll come pick you up. And it's really scary, but those things happen in the world and they still happen. And it seems like the safest way to go. So I think I would have had that conversation with her and let her know that when she's ready or, mm-hmm. or tell her like, listen, you're never going to be ready, 
but when you hit that point or when you're unsure but your body's ready to go mm. let me know and we'll play oh, that's really i think i think that's really well said and something that other people really need to hear is that you know a lot of people may never truly be ready to go but they might have one moment where something in them is saying get out and if they have right. a plan to your point and a person who's there for them and ready and waiting that might be the difference in safety and you know a really bad situation right well and i really want to throw it back to eliza and i say this often so hopefully this is not a surprise I'm just in eternal awe of how at such a young age, especially because, I mean, you were my same age. You were like 18 to 22, basically that period. So young, but like so wise and so compassionate that you were able to just sit there with me because that's really what it was. Just sit there with me and meet me where I was. Still call me out. <laughs> you know, you you never not did that. You never like vent yourself to be not truthful you you definitely called me out but you did it in such a compassionate way that I never felt shame and you were really the antidote to the shame because especially for someone that has a lot of pride it was not easy as a matter of fact I don't think it was until towards you know I start I got in a relationship when I was 18 and I think I ended at like 22 like again we were really on and off but yeah I severed with him, I guess, at 22, 23, something like that. And it wasn't until the latter, the, the end part of that, where I was like, oh, like, is this abuse? Like, it might sound crazy to people, but I think you may have said that. You may yeah, have mentioned I, emotional abuse. And then mm -hmm. I was like, is it, though? And I looked online, like, where they, you could just Google, like, 10 signs. Like, am I an emotionally abusive relationship? Something like that. And I took one of the quizzes. And I remember that moment of like, oh my gosh, like I'm answering yes to like all of these things, maybe except one, which is the physical. I think there was a question about being physically hit and I, I did not answer that yes to that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm in an abusive relationship. So it that did not click for a really long time. And even when it did, it wasn't like I was going around telling people. Right. Because I felt the shame and you were really the antidote to the shame. And I think that's so key and so important and I think so rare I don't even know if I would be that way I don't think that I would have been that way and so I just really thank you so much because it was a really dark time in my life and you 100% were the light and I I, I just fear I don't know what the alternative would have been if I didn't have you in my life and now that I have studied grief a little bit it ties into that in that when people are bereaved or when people lose someone's like so close to these really intense moments, I think the support system, those who are in the support system don't really know what to do. And honestly, I think it's because what we all three were saying, it comes from a place of, should we be fixing the situation? I want to fix the situation. I want to take away the pain. And it's like, none of yeah. us can do that for anybody else, whether it just be in a romantic relationship, a platonic relationship, or in a situation where someone is bereaved. The best thing that you could do is just sit there and be with them. And that's what you did. And I just think that's so wise. And I just really, I give you so much credit. Well, you're my angel buddy and you're a very strong woman. And honestly, like, it's really beautiful to see how much you've grown. Like that hasn't traumatized you, you know, maybe in that moment, but now like the woman that you are, like you're completely fucking over it. I'm sorry. You're completely <laughs> over it. <laughs> and that's in the past. Again, so beautiful to see how far you've come and the woman you've become. And I cherish you so much. And I'm sorry for the love fest, Jason. That's all right. I <laughs> love the love fest from all three of us. Well, that's I'm proud I to see of the of the change that I've seen in you, Eliza, in the time that oh, I've yeah? been Oh, yeah. I mean, I got to, you know, I'll call you out. There was a time where, you know, you sort of went from relation, relationship to relationship. And I would, in my humble opinion, not always necessarily looking for the right things for the right reasons. But now I see you taking long-term approach, really putting yourself and your needs first, you know, yeah. and, be, and demanding, you know, this is the way I want to be treated. These are the things I'm looking for. 
And if you can't give me those things, then good luck to you. You're a nice person. Have a nice day. And uh, those are some things I didn't always see. So the love fest continues. (laughs) (laughs) And you're a strong, beautiful man for getting yourself out of that situation and for recognizing the parts of growth that you took on and overcame. And I'm so happy that Pamela found a beautiful man like you. Because like she said earlier, like you're the most emotionally intellectual man she's ever met. You're the most emotionally intellectual man I've ever met. And you're a perfect match for Pamela. Oh, (laughs) It's like a warm blanket I put on. (laughs) I, I love this. And look, I mean, we talked about some really heavy stuff here and so I just hope everyone in our audience is okay because this could be some (laughs) triggering these these conversations could could be triggering but if someone listening wants to reach out and is suffering from domestic violence of any sort there is a hotline the national domestic violence hotline and we will share the number it's 1-800-799- 7233 and you can also text start to 88788 and we'll also be sure to to put that in our in our caption on on social media because obviously the the most important thing is everyone's safety and just you know people feeling seen and feeling loved and feelings like this like shame and guilt can be like really intense and I think this is where support system comes in and unconditional love and like just be really really being kind to yourself when it sort of feels really hard to do that you know I mean that would be like the advice that I would give my like 20 year old self I guess is like actually I need to give that advice to myself now (laughs) but (laughs) I think we can be really really harsh and and judgmental in reaction to things that that we do but I'm really, really thankful for you guys. I, I feel really blessed. And I just hope and pray that everyone has at least some one person in their life that's that's like one of you. Um, because and I allow think, that person to be there for you. That's yeah. important. Yeah, I think that I, I will echo that. I would just say if, if you're not ready to reach out to an abuse hotline or something along those lines, just... Try not to suffer in silence. Tell someone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jason, you were our first guest. What do you think? How did you think of the experience? I think it's important what y'all are doing. And I have seen by listening to the conversations between you and Eliza in the background, the value of friendship and being there for each other and being a sound aboard and all those things. So I think this is important. I think what you're doing important. And so it has been my pleasure. I almost feel like I need to give like a voice, a, a voiceover on the way out or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Do it. Do yeah, it. Yeah, it feels like I need to like switch into it. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to the Pam and Eliza show. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> or hold on, let's try. We'll have a couple. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to Pam and Eliza. There we go. Oh, That's that was perfect. perfect. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> this is terrible. Love you guys. <laughs> love you. Love you. Love and light to everybody.